You just take the jackpot. Otto Octavius was weak. Call me Dr. Octopus. From now on, we're poison to Peter Parker and Spider-Man. We're Venom! Green Goblin doesn't take orders from insects. The Green Goblin swaps them into oblivion. It's a conspiracy, I tell you. They're all working together. To raise my blood pressure! Tell me there's something better. Go ahead. Try. Welcome back to another fan panel of The Spectacular Radio. I'm Zach Joyner, the friendly neighborhood webmaster of Spidey-Dude.com and the Spidey Dude Radio Network. Of course, we are always joined and we are always going to have the host of the show, Mr. Greg Mashansky. Greg? Well, you may not always have me. What if something happens? You have to continue the show without me. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold on a second now. If, if you die, who is in the will to get to the show? Is is it? I have a sneaky suspicion I know who it is. but <laughs> I'll just let you guys fight it out amongst yourselves. Oh, Zach, you're done. <laughs> if it comes to that. <laughs> Okay. And also joining us is, as usual, Mr. Gerard Delatour, the host of Mayday Mondays, which is finally back. Yay! I know, right? <laughs> we still haven't done a new recording in forever, but we're, we're releasing episodes and stuff. And we're on iTunes again. And Google Play Podcasts. And we even slipped onto YouTube somehow. This is great. Nice. It's all, it's all back. Excellent. Actually, and not joining us again is unfortunately uh, Jesse Garrett, who um, is visiting his in-laws. Actually, he's gotten married since we last recorded, and uh, he's expecting a baby. Congratulations to him. And Don't do it. Gonna... <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> God, it's been so long, actually. You, Our listeners may not know it, but it's actually been well over a year since we've recorded one of these things. I mean, it's not been that long since we've released them, but it's been... Let's see, the last time we've recorded, what has happened? Um, there's been a new Star Wars movie. There have been a few Marvel movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I was convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to, to life in prison, but I got out on the technicality. Let's see, I've changed jobs. I've went from a job that I hate to another job that I hate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I got divorced. Or getting I'm getting divorced. So uh, that's a downer. The part where I'm better at somebody, not a downer, because that was awesome. But the part where Zach's <laughs> getting divorced, that's it. But I, I we had a uh since we last recorded we had I had a baby. Uh, well, I didn't have the baby. She had the baby. <laughs> I was going to say, Zach, did it hurt? <laughs> I, I cut I the cord, so. I don't think men are built for that. Unless you're Arnold Schwarzenegger, and then you can have babies, too. Yeah. In exactly. really bad, no, no. bad comedy movies. Hey, M. Bragg f- fan fiction is a thing. Oh, God, you're right. Uh, right, that there's, there's, there's fan fiction for everything. If we had a large enough fan base, there would probably be slash fic with, like, me and Zach or something like that. Oh, good lord. Hey, Zach, you can always write M. Preg into Crawl Space Adventures. No. <laughs> I love how deadpan that was. He didn't even consider it for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Who says I'm still writing Crawl Space Adventures? <laughs> oh. that if you start doing that? What kind of schmuck would take a job like that? I don't know. Nice. <laughs> Doing a bunch of artwork for people and never getting paid. Uh, yeah, I know. 
Punisher, man. <laughs> That's true. Uh, well, you've mentioned artwork, and I've also got to mention uh, rest in peace, Darwin Cook. Yeah, <sighs> that was a gut shot, didn't he? Didn't he? They just announced that he had cancer like yesterday. Yeah, he. Yeah. Wow. A couple days. Ago, so. I guess he must have found it really late if that was the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. Real gut shot. Well, that's a depressing note to start out on, but um, this episode introduces the symbiote, the black costume, so I guess starting out on a depressing note is not inappropriate. Yeah, uh, you're not kidding. He's in mor- we're in mourning for the reputation. Yeah. Okay, Um, we have a couple pieces of fan mail to read. That's nice. Woo-hoo! Okay, our first one comes from Nikki One. Hi, guys. I finally got around to listening to the podcast over the last couple of months and really enjoy it. I love the behind-the-scenes stories. It makes up for no episode commentaries and actually went to buy Attack of the Lizard after Victor Cook was on the show. I thought it was really interesting to hear Greg mention that Peter's dad was a fan of Captain America and that influenced his costume. Actually, Nikki, I think he said Uncle Ben was the Captain America fan. But yeah, it certainly gives a good reason for the color scheme. It was also really cool to hear about Peter and Eddie's dads creating the web formula and Norman stole it. Could Norman have been involved in their deaths? Coincidentally, I've also finally started to watch the series again via Blu-ray this time. It was the 8th anniversary, and I just watched Uncertainty Principle. Looking forward to the next episode. Cheers, Nick. Yeah, thanks for writing, Nick. Oh my god, and and thanks for reminding me how old I am by pointing out this show started 8 years ago. (laughs) Oh god, God. yeah, it did, didn't it? That was right in the gonads. <laughs> and now, and as for Norman being responsible for Peter and Eddie's dad's deaths, I kind of it's moot now, but I kind of hope not. I mean, his uh, he and Spidey's uh, arch enemy status is already personal enough, don't you think? Well, Greg, no, you have to have Norman retroactively be responsible for everything. He caused May's heart problems. Uh, he killed Uncle Ben. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> What else did he do? Uh, let's see now. Um, he's the one who told Spidey to tell uh, the chameleon that he's a commie. That's since been rec- <laughs> that's since been retconned because that reference no longer makes any sense. He canceled the show. He created Ultimate Spider-Man. <laughs> oh my God, that's the worst crime he's ever committed. Uh, he's responsible for Zach's divorce. Oh wow. <laughs> that might actually help Zach in the long run. I don't know if Norman would would micromanage to that level. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not gonna make another comment on that. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> let's let, let's stay off of that topic as much as we can, please. <laughs> okay, oh, we haven't even started talking about the episodes yet, and my chest is starting to hurt. This isn't good. And okay, we've got a second one from Flat Out One Eleven. Longtime Spidey fan, especially from my childhood, now in my 40s, and getting back into the character even more. Just discovered the brilliance of the spectacular Spider-Man animated series. Love it. Bought two copies of the Blu-ray complete series. One to watch, one to collect. And one to get the individual DVDs cheap for their artwork. It's the first volume of the individual episodes of a movie like they planned with extra footage. Uh, yeah, but it isn't really... It isn't. There wasn't really extra footage in that. There was extra footage for the later movies that were planned, which will unfortunately never see the light of day unless you go to a convention. Yeah. Yeah. My main question is a spectacular radio podcast available on any podcatcher like Stitcher or whatever. 
If so, which one? I have to listen online and it kills my cell phone and some episodes will not download. Thanks. And is there any art available from the show? I want to collect some different things from the show. From Mark Anthony Bowden. P.S. Thanks for your great podcast paying tribute to the greatest animated show ever. Well, thank you for writing. And uh, the podcast question. I know it's on Podcast Addict. I tried another one, Podcast Republic. It wasn't there. Zach? Uh, well, uh, well, all you, uh, you can get to iTunes and Google Play Music, right? Yeah, those are the big ones. Those are the two big ones now. Um, if if you if you go to the website, um, and I'll we'll we'll from our from this episode on, we'll post a link to the feed. If you have a podcatcher, if you put the the feed into your like the URL feed URL, excuse me, into your podcatcher, it'll have all the episodes. So we'll just put next time we next time we post the episode, we'll post the feed URL. Just so that people can can use that as like an RSS feed reader. So, and I have to say, it's also great hearing from someone who's much older than us. <laughs> yes, significantly older. I'm nowhere near the age of forty. <laughs> I'm older than you, and I'm still, well, I'm five years away this August. Ugh. Old, old. Yeah, and I'm just the young whippersnapper in this group. <laughs> <laughs> and yet you're the boss. How does that work? Yeah, well, you know. Isn't that, isn't that always how it works? The older, more competent guys are serving under the younger, more incompetent guy who got his position because he's... Okay, I'm not going to go there. I love you, Zach. Much love, too, to you, bro. All right, and I'm going to read a summary of the episode. This is from the Marvel database at wikia.com. A synopsis for Persona. Hearing that alien life... Cr- came down with John Jameson's space shuttle, Peter, upon returning home from school, quickly rushes to the TV. And Noah sees a small photo of the alien life, a black sticky ooze, and that it is being located in Dr. Connor's lab. And whoever wrote this must not (laughs) have English as their first language. Skim it! (laughs) Yeah, he calls Eddie Brock in the hopes he can see the photo, but he harshly brushes him off for his false actions with the lizard. I don't think it was that harsh. I mean, he was friendly, he was kind of friendly about it. All of this is the lead up to their final falling out. Yeah, which happens and very he, quickly. We'll get well. Eddie Eddie Brock's the guy with the issues. Yeah, <laughs> still itching to see the use, he goes to the lab at night as Spider Man to see it from the window, only to find a cat burglar trying to steal it. Confronting the burglar who goes by the name of Black Cat, the two gracefully fight with each other. During this time, the ooze sneaks out of its container, which is unlocked by Black Cat. During the fight, Peter unknowingly steps on the ooze, causing it to stick to his soul. Dr. Connors comes into the lab and sees the fight. Black Cat leaves, and with the ooze missing from its container, Spider-Man assumes that she stole the ooze. He goes after her, but is unable to locate her. The next day, Spider-Man is revealed to have been framed for the crime in in the Daily Bugle article, although Flash doesn't believe it. Peter confronts Jameson about the legitimacy of the article, which leads to one of the best lines of dialogue in the episode. This episode actually has some brilliant dialogue. (laughs) Uh, How about 17? And he says that Dr. Connors did not even know of the crime until he came in in the morning. It is revealed that Dr. Connors appeared at the scene was actually the chameleon who was working with his henchmen, Quentin Beck and Phineas Mason, on some unknown scheme. Unknown, he's stealing this thing to sell it to some general. That night, Spider-Man goes out to find Black Cat and discovers that his suit has turned black due to the use. He meets up with Black Cat, and her conversation reveals that Spidey technically stole the use. Then Spidey, somehow in his classic costume, robs a bank, among others, causing everyone to label him a criminal. However, it is again the chameleon in disguise. 
The real Spider-Man, not knowing these events, starts doing his normal work with the black suit and discovers his powers have been significantly enhanced. He ponders returning it, but decides against it. Hearing of the crimes against him, Spidey ends up reluctantly teaming up with Black Cat to find the culprit. She helps him find what she believes is her next location, a party boat full of rich people, including Jameson, Captain Stacy, and uh, Mayor Hillary Clinton. Mayor Hillary Clinton with her prized <laughs> tiger-shaped gem. Ah. It's also the host. <laughs> we called it. <laughs> as well as Norman Osborn. However, the latter is shown to be the chameleon who promptly tries to rob the people. Spider-Man appears to fight him, and over the course of a long battle, Black Cat takes out Mason and Beck, and Spider-Man takes out Chameleon. Peter nearly confesses that he accidentally stole the ooze, but again almost forcefully decides against it. Then Mayor Waters reveals that the gem was stolen. And when everyone goes to confront Chameleon, they find that someone else has been bound and gagged in his place. Bound and gagged. It was, uh... Sin Eater. <laughs> Sorry, I'm blanking out. <laughs> yeah, it was Sin Eater. Okay, Spider-Man then runs into Black Cat again and asks why she helped him. She ends up kissing him, much to surprise, only for it to be revealed that she is the real thief behind the gem. And she also escapes while he is distracted. And that's our synopsis. Uh, going, I think we'll go to Zach first. What do you think? Um, I enjoyed this episode. I, the, the goop in my hair comment uh, line was was pretty good. Oh, oh, that's been ruined because I've heard that um six hundred million times. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, to me, the the episode really was it brought together uh, the first issue of Spider Man, Amazing Spider Man. Um, really well with the black cat and and black costume story. Uh, is the is it is this saga this black costume saga better than the '90s show? I'm gonna say no, but it's a very close second. So well, I, well, it does unfortunately I think adopt the same suit turns him evil convention that was invented for that show. That's been in every version since. I, I, was, I was hoping that it wouldn't do that, but it did. We'll discuss that more in later episodes. It doesn't really play a significant part here. Yeah. yeah the next the, the next episode, you really start to get it, and then the one after that is where it hits the fan. But uh, overall, I think that the, the the that the show does a very good job adapting the alien costume, um, and does a good job with the, the banter between Black Cat and Spidey. Um, it, it really the flirtation between the two is um adults can get it but it's not over the top uh to not where... over the top i'm gonna have to argue on that one um but i i like the flirty nature that that cat brings and, and as a not uh, she's not a permanent love interest but she's she's a she's a, a different love interest because it's somebody that's t- tied specifically to spidey instead of peter parker so uh, it brings that soap opera element a little bit into it too, and which which is enjoyable. Uh, animation, of course, is great. Um, uh, I like, I sort of like how they took the costume from Spider-Man Three and incorporated it in, and then we'll get, of course, the n- next episode we'll talk about the costume again. But uh, really liked, I like the fact that Quentin Beck and the Tinkerer were involved with um, with Chameleon as his henchman. It all obviously ties everything together, and that's what's enjoyable uh, to about to me about this show is that Wiseman tries to tie all these characters together, and not in a conceited conceived way like Norman Osborn being the third the third cousin of of the Sandman because they had the <laughs> same their hair because their hair is the same. 
They must be related. Yeah. Uh John Byrne, you hack. So. Yeah, I mean, I I want to give this a I I'll give it a B plus. Hmm. I'm not as positive on this one as Zach is. It's a good it's a good episode. I think all right, there's a couple of things that I have had a problem with. Um the character of the black cat gives me mixed feelings. And yeah, insert your joke about puberty or whatever. That's not what I mean. But um <laughs> I love the the voice and the performance that that's given for the character. Trisha Helfer. <laughs> yes, who's very who's very good in the role. The problem is I think it was written a little too flanderized, you know what I mean? Where I, I, I just have to take a step back because this is a wider complaint I have about the character in general in the modern times, but um, the black cat was never this overtly sexual when she first showed up in the comics. And then subsequently, every incarnation that we've seen of her since has ramped that up to 11 as if that's her only character trait. And I have a problem with that because it, I feel like it cheapens the effect of the character if it's not built slowly. Where, like... She, she didn't get. She didn't just immediately fall in love with Spider-Man when she first saw him. It was a thing that built over time, and I know that's not what they're going for on this show, but I feel like they're taking that that sort of ignorant. Uh, I'm going to quote somebody without naming them. Please don't jump on me. Well, or uh, the black cat is all about sex. That's not true. Stop <laughs> repeating that on your podcast. That has never been the case. <laughs> that's just something that's developed over time as writers have gotten lazier. And they're just like, all right, black hat, um, just random sex dialogue, and then uh, uh, she portrays him at the end, which unfortunately is exactly what happens in this episode. I think they did it well in this episode, though. But um, although we're getting ahead of ourselves, they when the, the next time black hat, well, not the next time, the time after that, or third and last appearance on the show, uh, they were going to go in a radically different direction with her than they did in just about any other incarnation, including the comics, which would have been welcome. But we're going to talk about that much later. I mean, I enjoy Trisha Helfer in the role, and I think, started, yeah, she's different than when she started out in the comics. I haven't read her earliest appearances in a while, but I felt she worked here. I guess. I mean, within the fabric of the show, I mean, I'm not I'm not pulling a uh, Jorge Fruitman where I'm expecting everything to be as it was in the comics when I was reading as a kid. But, but like, <laughs> yeah, you, you, you gotta... <laughs> you, Zach finally figured it out. He was on a time delay. <laughs> okay. Um, you totally wrecked my train of thought with that. Uh, that's okay. Um, uh, I, I, this is the beginning of the whole, um, okay, hold on a second. I lost my place in my notes. Can I, let me, let me find it. Give me a second. Sure. Okay. Uh, Chameleon, Mysterio, Tinker, although they're not Mysterio and Tinker, they're Quentin Beck and, uh, whatever the hell, uh, Tinker's name is. I can't even remember. Um, Adrian, no, Adrian Toombs is a vulture, what am I saying? Uh, Whatever, who cares, he's the tinkerer. Um, I like that they're his support staff in this, but I, uh, there was something missing there, and I don't really know how to put my finger on it. Not with, not with the interaction of the characters, that was fine, uh, but something about Chameleon just sort of working for a guy that we never see. A general. Is there any, I mean, I asked Wiseman this when we did the interview trying to figure out if this is anyone from the comics is there any significant or even not so significant general that this guy could be uh russian general see i I, my instinct says that that must have been an attempt by wiseman to make a nod to the fact that he was operating on behalf of the communists in his early appearances 
but that that doesn't make sense anymore in the modern times when communism is pretty much dead. Well, you could still easily been working for the Russians, right? Yeah. That's that's what I mean. But it's not explicitly stated, and I don't know if that 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 just reeks of a network note to me, where you couldn't have him representing some country that and be like, well, we're in good relations with that country. You can't slag him in our cartoon show or something equally stupid. Hey, Zach, do Vladimir Putin talking with the chameleon on the other end after this messed up. <laughs> so you did not get the black goop, did you? Yes. No, I did not. So uh, you know what happens when you come back. We will have to have words with you. Yes? <laughs> yes. It'll, be a th- it'll be a three-way cage match between a shirtless Putin, a bear, and the chameleon. <laughs> <laughs> And we will have it live on pay-per-view in Russia. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. Uh, undercard fight is uh, is uh, Ivan Vanko and uh, the guy he beat up in prison in Iron Man 2. Mar- <laughs> Marvel, make it happen. With Dolph Lundgren <laughs> playing the role of the communist. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> make it happen, Marvel, please. Okay. All right. Enough. Oh yeah. Enough, enough going off topic. Um, there, there, you like you said, there were a lot of great lines in this one. I wrote down my favorite, which is uh, at one point Jonah, who by the way is just pure gold in this in the this episode and the following one. He he goes to Peter and he calls he yells out, "You callow insubordinate pup!" Who says that? <laughs> Jonah. I love dialogue like that. It's so ridiculous. Uh, you want you want to know what his uh his alter ego is? Uh, the, the tinkerer. Yes. Phineas Mason. Ah, yes. Phineas T. Mason, I believe. Yes. Phineas Mason. Yes. <laughs> thank you. That, uh, he doesn't actually call, call the tinkerer on the show until the next time we see him. Right. Uh, thank goodness he's not working for aliens or whatever the hell that was. In, <laughs> in the, Didn't Roger Stern retcon that out? <laughs> yeah, he retconned it so that he was working with the chameleon, with the Mysterio. Which is appropriate for this episode, because they're working together again. Yeah, I mean, Mason doesn't speak this time, but he speaks next time. Uh, Quentin Beck was voiced by uh, Xander Berkeley, who um, was... You know who he was in Terminator 2? No. He was Todd Voigt, who was... Uh, oh, uh... Con- uh adopted father, yeah. Okay. Shut up, you stupid piece of... Word I can't say in a podcast? <laughs> you can say it. We just had to have a little E beside us when we do it. <laughs> well, I don't want to make Greg have to add the beeps and stuff. It's more work that way. Uh, <laughs> I love that. That's immediately what I thought of. When I mentioned it. <laughs> Shut up, Todd. Um, anyway, uh, one character who does speak, though, is Chameleon without his mask. Which I, the only reason I'm bringing this up is because in the '90s cartoon, he never actually speaks when he's the chameleon. He only yeah. he only speaks through his various personas. I'm curious, because um, he speaks here, and he has, of course, he has a very thick accent. And I'm wondering if again that was supposed to be a nod to his origins without actually telling you what they were. I'm sure they were. I mean, that was Steve Blum doing his Eastern Europe. He did that same voice for uh, Red Skull in Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes as well as uh, Count Vertigo on Young Justice. And I, anywhere else, maybe. But I thought it worked. And uh, 
And I did enjoy Chameleon in the 90s show speaking in other forms. At least at first, there were times when it got a little bit awkward and he would just like molt, change between several different people for a random sentence. <laughs> I like that, though. It kind of made him seem a little off-kilter. Uh, it doesn't fit the character at all, but but that but that yeah. was the '90s show. I don't think any of the characters really fit. <laughs> that was kind of the, that was part of the the charm of that show. Um, I'm thinking of George Stacy now. Instead of saying the chameleon is too tall, that can't be him. He's got that big weird belt buckle on his. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Since when does Spider-Man have an ugly clashing aquamarine belt buckle? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Eye patches on the wrong side. Do you- do you remember? Do you remember when that episode debuted? That was actually um, that was a season finale of season one, and that was actually a primetime episode. Yep, nineteen ninety-five. I remember. I remember. I remember distinctly where I was when I watched that episode. Me too. So do I. It's weird that we think of that as some kind of landmark. <laughs> it really wasn't. But, but for our lives, yeah, sure it was. Oh, well, day of the chameleon, the O.J. Simpson verdict, around the same time. Well, you got. You actually, it actually was around the same time. <laughs> now that I know, weren't they both in June of '95? Uh, I think so. Yeah, this was um, the, the reason why I remember it is because it had they had a double feature. They had the season finale of Spider-Man, and then they had the I think the season finale of X-Men. It was like a back-to-back feature. I don't think so. <laughs> We're gonna have to fight now. <laughs> I don't have any clear memories of that, but uh, uh by 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 the way, this is ap- absolutely apropos of nothing. As I'm actually killing time, so that I could look up when uh, <laughs> Day of the Chameleon originally aired. Well, uh, well, while you do that, I'll just say that I do like this interpretation of Chameleon because I prefer a Chameleon who wears masks and does it all through sheer talent instead of actually being able to shape shift like Mystique. That's my own personal preference, anyway. That's true. That's true. Although, um, see, the problem with the with the mask version of the chameleon is that uh, it, it strains credibility. I think in the in the when you, when you have it in a medium that's not written out, in that he has to be able to perfectly imitate every voice that he does. Yeah, and that stretches that stretches your suspension of disbelief when you have, especially when you hear what his actual voice sounds like. <sighs> yeah. Well, I've met some, well, maybe as a side gig doing voice acting, because some of these people can, maybe he's secretly Frank Welker. <laughs> right. That guy can do anything. See, now, now now, I'm just imagining him pulling, okay, by, okay, I got the note, by the way. I can just imagine him pulling off, the, like, putting off the mask. It's like, let's see what the chameleon really looks like. Zoinks! <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> Oh my god, it's Megatron, leader of the Decepticons. Yes. <laughs> it's over Prime. <laughs> Which has nothing to do with Steve Blum, except that Steve Blum is one star screen. Okay, just a little random note. I actually looked it up. Holy crap, we were right. Uh, Day of the Chameleon aired on June 11th, 1995. The Bronco Chase was June 17th, 1994. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 but hold on, it was 1994. That's the problem. We had the year wrong. Oh. Right. <laughs> <laughs> It was still in our collective mind whenever we were, you know, watching it. Yes. <laughs> so we had the the day, the month and day close, but we had the wrong year. War, 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 war. Okay. Anyway, <clears throat> just got a couple. Uh, it, was, it was still the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the nineties all happened the same week. Like you know, Jurassic Park came out, and then the week later, like Saving Private Ryan came out. It was all. <laughs> 
And then Phantom Menace. The 90s ended on a down note. <laughs> okay, I uh, uh, got a couple extra little notes here. Um, a little animate, couple of animation notes that really kind of bugged me about this episode. Um, one is the continuity with the Black Hat's equipment is horrific. I'm actually really surprised by how badly done it was. At one point, she, uh, she, because I think she has the wire that's ran, that's arbitrarily connected to her somewhere. We never really see. It's sort mm. of random back, and it, Wonder it, it where seems... it goes. <sighs> Zach, <laughs> it's her tail because <laughs> she's a cat. Get it? Um, yeah. uh, and it also seems to have infinite length because at one point she jumps down like. I did notice 20, that when I was 20 stories worth of building and it doesn't ever reach its limit. And then in the very next shot, it's gone because again, bad continuity in this episode. I don't know what's going on. Just like, just like Batman. <laughs> Batman. Oh, Batman has a million of those things. Yeah. And also at one point during the actual robbery, she pulls out a like a, a grapple gun to fire the thing. And then when she's turning to go to Spider-Man, she releases it from the wall. She hooks it onto her waist, onto absolutely nothing, and then the very next shot it's gone again. We never see that that particular device ever again. <laughs> I suppose it comes down to, I mean, there's certain conventions that come with uh these over the top comic book characters either accept them or you don't. Yeah, the thing the thing that bugs me about that is it would be easily solved if she just had an equipment bag. Utility belt. Well, yeah. Or something along those lines. You just have her stuff into a belt or jam it into a bag or something like that. Yeah. Well, that sounds less like a problem with the episode and more of the weird crap that's in the genre as a whole. Yeah. And then there's one other one that actually I actually laughed at. Yeah? It's, um, which is that uh, when, he, when he's observing the robberies, Spidey webs his camera to the to the window to go take some pictures. For some idiotic reason, he webs it on the outside of the window so that it's the camera has to shoot through the glass, which would actually completely distort the photos and make them worthless in real life. I just thought I'd throw that out there. You gotta open the glass and web it on the inside, Spidey. I don't know why he did that. Because <laughs> they usually get that right. He usually webs it inside the room in a corner somewhere. But anyway, that's apropos of nothing. That's just a nitpicky complaint that I have. Yeah, <clears throat> you can tell a show is good when most of the complaints are actually nitpicks and not. Oh my God, this is our, this is horrendous characterization as it is often with uh, modern Spider-Man comic books <laughs> or movies. <clears throat> yeah, some too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> how many years ago was that? Now, not that long. Only a couple of years. Came out yeah. twenty fourteen. It's see. still the most um, recent Spider-Man movie, though. <laughs> yeah, I asked uh, Greg when we did the interview who the captain of industry was who hired a uh, black cat he wouldn't tell me personally i think it was probably osborne just because he, he he runs a science company he'd want to get a hold of an alien is there anyone else who, who it could be that they would have had access to well obviously it's the kingpin he's the prometheum x Prometheum <laughs> X. we're gonna keep making jokes about the black costume saga throughout this entire four oh episodes. wait hold on you do, i just remembered another random <laughs> i'm sorry um, yeah, black cat suit is not black; it's blue. And that bugged me because Spider-Man's black suit is actually black. It, it, normally, you wouldn't notice that if she wasn't standing next to Spidey. Yeah, that's I mean, exactly we, what the problem oh, was—that they're standing the, right next to each other. By the way, I do—I will confirm, because I, I, I've been doing a little bit of research while you guys were talking. Spider-Man: The Animated Series: Day of the Chameleon came out on June 11, 1995. It was followed by X-Men 
the Weapon X lies in videotape. I remember oh, this. Oh, I, I remember this. And it came out. It was a night. Sunday. It was the same night, and it was I, a Sunday night. Uh, oh. Also, also on that night was sixty minutes, which is of course. And then Lois and Clark, the new adventures of Superman. So after you got done watching X Men, you could flip it over to channel uh, to uh, ABC and watch Lois and Clark. I probably watched Simpsons that night. I'm sure I did actually. Meanwhile, yeah. Married with Children, Simpsons, and The Critic were all on repeats. The Critic. I watched them that night. I remember this. I remember this night now. <laughs> See, I remember Weapon X Lies and Videotape was a primetime episode, as was the the season three opener, I believe, with the with the Reavers and. Uh, 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 Death Strike and all that stuff. That was also prime time episodes. I remember they, but, ca- I remember they called the, the Shiva robot Talos for some reason in that. <laughs> yes. But the thing that I didn't realize that was the same night as Day of the Chameleon. Wow, we were spoiled back then, weren't we? Because <laughs> the Weapon X Lies and Videotape was a damn good episode. That was the one where uh, Wolverine goes back to Canada and he, uh, Sabretooth, Silver Fox, and I believe Maverick all get separately drawn back to the Weapon X project so that they can be confronted by... Uh, they all team up, get inside, fight... Or, it's, it's a cool episode. It's I believe it's the only one where they actually... Uh, where they actually get into Wolverine and Silver Fox having a past romantic history, and it gets to the yeah. whole thing of whether or not their, their memories are actually implants or if it really happened and such. Mm-hmm. Damn good stuff for, uh, for that show, especially. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I think that was one of the last really good episodes of the show because by then it sort it, they were losing their continuity, just going in random directions each week. And yeah, yeah the first two episode, the first two seasons had tight continuity. After that, they had to just by necessity stop doing it because of the animation problems. Yeah, they had one episode that took place after the Phoenix Saga, which didn't air for another three seasons. Yep, it was. Uh, I don't know specifically which one it was. It was where Cyclops left the team. I believe he went back to his orphanage, and then he re- he came back to the team just in time to discover that Jean Grey is still alive. So yeah, it's the one that explains that she didn't die after the Phoenix Saga, but it didn't air until three years after the Phoenix Saga. <laughs> Gotta love it. Well done. Maybe we should get back to also discussing the episode that we're supposed to be talking about. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure our listeners love our tangents. Yeah, see, well. See, see, Zach, that's how you do it. That's how you get shows back on track. This guy <clears throat> Huh. Well done. Well done. So, so I would notes. say, um, overall, I would give probably give us like a B. It's a good episode. Yeah, yeah it is. This episode also, we're, we're not quite done yet. This episode also introduces, well, he appeared before, but it really introduces George Stacy. And I like this guy. I like the way Clancy Brown plays him. It's, uh, he's competent. He's that cool cop. And uh, it's not Dennis Leary. <laughs> well, well, uh... I, I mean, I, I mean, and it's and this really comes in later because they turned Dennis Leary's uh, George Stacy pretty much into Spider-Man's J. Jonah Jameson in that movie. Whereas here he plays off of Jameson, whereas he and he and Jameson are kind of opposites when it comes to Spidey. They both know the guy really well. He's able to tell that it's Chameleon by looking at him. At him, he's too tall. And and it's something Pete, Greg pointed out when we spoke to him. At the end of the day, even Jameson knows Pete, Spider-Man really well because when as soon as the guy in the black costume comes in, he knows who it is. Yeah. <laughs> That was actually a nice touch because he yells out, "You, you, you know, web, whatever." And then he's you like, ah. "Even he knows that I'm the real, the real article." Um, you're right. This, I'm, I'm trying to think how many, how often has George Stacy appeared in other media? He was in Spider-Man Three, where he didn't do anything. 
<laughs> it's Gwen. What's she doing up there? He seems so unconcerned. She was hanging from a steel beam, about to fall to her death. Well, he knows. He knows he's in a Spider-Man movie, so he knows that she's safe. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which I actually thought he was well cast in Spider-Man Three, but he didn't yeah. do Jack Diddley's squad. I, oh, I agree. I got, I got, looked, I, uh, sorry, go ahead. I, I felt like he looked like Captain Stacy from the comics. I mean. Yeah, I was going to bring up a comical story that happened with me and my sister. So she watches uh, The Amazing Spider-Man, right? And I remember we were, and later on, whenever we were watching Spider-Man 3, and she actually complained that George Stacy was an old man in Spider-Man 3, based on the failed assumption that George Stacy actually is a younger guy, like they depicted him in the ASM movies. And I'm like, no, actually, you have it completely backwards. She's like, no, I don't. So, of course, you, you know me being the, the asshole that I am. I have to pull out a copy of, like, Amazing Spider-Man 70-something or whatever. And I'm like, hey, hey, this is George Stacy. She's like, wow, he's old. And I'm like, yeah, he's old. Well, here he's obviously, he's not... I wouldn't say he's old, but he's not young either. He's got the gray hair, but he obviously hasn't been injured in his leg yet. So this is the best. Yeah. Eventually... This is the best medium. Yeah, we may have eventually. I'm sure we would have eventually seen him get his injury had the show progressed long enough, or maybe even just be killed off like he was in the comics. Maybe we would have gotten both. Who knows? But I, but it, but I, but I liked him in this. Mm-hmm. I liked, I liked the character, and uh, I didn't. Like I said, I didn't care for him in the ASM movies, but he just. And I liked, and I don't mind Dennis Leary, but if I were to cast a younger George Stacy live action, I would have picked Bruce Greenwood. I think. Yeah, that's a that's a good choice too. Um, I, I'm thinking between those three, this is this version is obviously my favorite. I'm just struggling to remember if there's any other appearances in outside media. I don't think so. They usually skip George Stacy. Yeah. He wasn't in the '90s show, obviously, because Gwen wasn't in the '90s show. Did he show up in the alternate universe with Gwen? I don't believe so. Which is a shame. I think he's actually a pretty good character, and uh, I like the way Clancy Brown plays him, and it's fun because I'm not, as I said to Greg, I'm not used to seeing Clancy Brown play good guys. Usually when I think of him, I think of him as uh, the Kurgan. Lex L- the Kurgan or Lex Luthor or Hakon the Viking or many other bad guys. I mean, <laughs> Or random asshat from Star Trek episode number one three three seven dash six, or you know, he's he's appeared on every sci-fi show just as a jerk alien at some point. For sure. Um, I, I'm also trying to think. Generally speaking, George Stacy's role as a confidant to Spider-Man or like a you know a competent sort of ally is usually superseded by someone else. I think that's part of the reason why he rarely appears in other media. Because usually, if you need somebody to be Spider-Man's, you know, competent friend, it's usually Joe Robertson or somebody like that. Or if you need somebody to be a police ally, it's usually somebody like Gene DeWolf or, or usually someone who's based on Gene DeWolf. I don't think yeah. Gene DeWolf has appeared outside of this series. That, that's what that's what I mean. That's that. what I mean. Like you know, like um, what's her name from the '90s show? Uh, Terry Lee. Lee or somebody. You know, that's what I mean. Where it's it's an invented character who's usually an XB of a character from the comics. Yeah, I guess the reason is because it's hard to introduce George Stacy without Gwen Stacy being there, or at least having the residual baggage of Gwen Stacy being there. We'll, we'll talk more about Gwen at a later date. We're going to talk about her when we get to episode thirteen, especially. But, yeah, uh, she wasn't in this I, one, was she? No, she had one scene. She didn't have any dialogue, and uh, she was at the uh, Connors lab when George was. Uh, Doing the investigation, and uh, I remember someone when this episode they were complaining that there 
that Gwen wasn't talking to her father during this, and I'm thinking, her father is at work right now. <laughs> yeah, why would she be? <laughs> I think this is Ultimate Spider-Man, or you could just have her awkwardly hanging around the, poli- the police station. I meant the comics, not the cartoon. Yeah, <laughs> the comic, yeah, I remember that. I haven't read that in a while, but I mean, I do like... I mean, again, it's like it's a bit more realistic in a sense. It's not like Gwen is uh, the tour guide at Oscorp here. <laughs> not forget about the tour guide. She's a uh, she's an intern at Oscorp despite being a high school student. Yeah. How many multi-billion-dollar corporations do you know that have high schoolers working there? Let alone with with access to be able to get into the labs off hours. Unless your CEO is Charles Montgomery Burns, I don't think so. <laughs> exactly. Because that guy hired a duck. <laughs> Get back to work, Stuart. <laughs> nice reference. <laughs> he also has a screen door in the back of his uh, his nuclear power plant. <laughs> the dog got it. <laughs> and uh, let's see. Um, this episode also features a, son- a fun and probably the only appearance that Mayor Waters makes. And Greg denied any similarities, at least uh, intended similarities with Hillary Clinton, but I made a joke. She was running at the time. This was about spring 2008, so, and then of course Norman Osborn comes up to make a political donation before he decides in a few years he's going to make America green again. (laughs) (sighs) It also completely mirrors real life, where Hillary Clinton also receives donations from shady shady billionaire figures. Oh, wow. Maybe, Maybe... Norman Osborn runs for president. He's going to bring his dark reign to the United States. Uh, that's, rid- that's ridiculous. That would never happen. <laughs> you know what's funny? We're all laughing about how like how ridiculous it was that like Lex Luthor and, and was like president of the United States in the comics, and we're literally months away from a supervillain becoming the president. Like <laughs> dark reign, I take back anymore. every. <laughs> yeah, dark reign, I take back every weird everything I said about your credibility. Here we are, but. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, and also this is kind of a big deal. Peter had his first kiss this in this episode, and it's kind of twisted. Indeed, as Zach would usually say. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Well done. Well done with the indeed. Yeah, I, I thought um, I thought it was kind of kind of humorous. That, uh, he got his first kiss from a criminal. She didn't puke on him like she didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Ultimate Spider-Man. I don't know if you heard the uh, interview, but when we talked to Greg about this, he said they got a note from the movie department saying, no, that's that's Peter and MJ's kiss. You can't do that. And then he said, no, 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 she's distracting him or going in a different direction in the movies. And then they just gave him their okay. Hmm. That's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting. It's interesting that the movie's side would have influence over that. I mean, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised when we see his origin in a few episodes. Yeah, I think at the time they were still hoping to make Spider-Man Four with Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst, yeah. or yeah, this is too- or Tobey Maguire and Bryce Dallas Howard had Kirsten Dunst dropped out, which was a possibility at the time. Yeah, this this is 2008, so this is right after Spider-Man Three came out in 2007. Oh. And they would have written this, and made and made a gajillion stuff. dollars, which everyone seems to pretend didn't happen. Can we stop yeah. this retcon that Spider-Man 3 was some kind of failure? It was the highest grossing movie in the series. Well, it was a critical... It wasn't as critically acclaimed as the previous two. No, but it made the most money, and that's all that matters <laughs> as far as studio is concerned. Yeah. 
Well, I'd have to do some research into this because, again, if you go into Batman versus Superman, and there's been a lot of a lot of the breaking even points there because that movie had to make about nine hundred million to break even. They put themselves in that hole, and yeah, but we're talking about the Spider-Man Sony series here. This is back when they still had the merchandising rights and so forth. Yeah, I mean, again, Hollywood accounting. What are you going to do? <laughs> the fact that they were going to make a fourth movie until various things stopped it kind of is telling enough. Yeah, the, I mean, perfect world. They made they, they would have made a fourth movie. This series would have kept going on, be, going on, and Sony wouldn't have handed the rights back for a concession to the movies. Was it worth it, Sony? Was it? <laughs> yeah, short term gain. And even then, not really. Nothing. <laughs> Which about nothing. Those ASM movies did not do very well. Well, again, it's all it's where we get into that whole argument of relative relative accounting and all that stuff. They did well in comparison to to say like your standard run of the mill film that comes out of the theaters, but they were the lowest grossing in the series before inflation. <laughs> if you count inflation, then they really get curb stuffed, and then they they cost more too. So. I, I, if yeah. I remember reading correctly, I think they lost money on Amazing Spider-Man 2, which is just astonishing. Well, there's a reason why their CEO said, from Japan, called and said, make a deal with Marvel. Make a deal with Marvel right now. Because <laughs> they just made a crap ton of money using Spider-Man. Yeah, they just did. I mean, Civil War's doing very well. Spider-Man's been pretty well received so far. It'll We'll see where they go from, the, from here. I mean... Mm-hmm. Now, does Marvel have creative control over the next solo Spider-Man yes. movie? Kevin Feige does. That's that, that. At that point, why why does Sony even have a stake in this? <laughs> they have no creative control over it. They're paying for it. <laughs> I'm sure they get some no, the profits. It's the same type of. It's the same setup they have with Paramount. Well, no, because because they bought the rights from Paramount. The only reason that Paramount still had financial stakes in the movies is because they had already begun production. So that so they had to include the Paramount logo on the front and all that stuff. Notice that that has disappeared since I believe the Avengers is the last one to have it. Yeah, which I was surprised because I thought it was supposed to be, it wasn't supposed to be Avengers. But well, uh... it, well, again, it was, that was I believe it was the last movie under that would have been. That Paramount would have already started paying for. After that, once we're into Phase Two, Paramount no longer has a stake in it. Yeah. So the logo disappeared, and they no longer have any influence. But they get to do the distribution. Paramount? No, not anymore. No, 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 no. I'm talking about uh, Sony on the new Spider-Man movie. Right, but that's the point I'm making is that they're basically going in for all of the risk in paying for the movie and 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 such. But they have no creative interest in it because Marvels are the one that's in charge of yeah. actually the, the X's and O's of making the movie. Yeah, but Marvel. The, this, is a, this is a win-win for Marvel. I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, it is. Now let's get now let's get back on track. The dialogue in this episode is amazing. I believe Matt Wayne was the writer. I think, like I said, there was Black Cat's uh, quotes, which I know Gerard said he got tired of one very infamous one, which I get if you hear something six million times, it gets old. But Jameson's dialogue was gold. It was crackling in this episode. I, I wish what, I could have written down more of his great one-liners, but he had a lot. When So he'll be caught, jailed, and run out of town. town. How can he be jailed and run out of town? <laughs> I got two words for you! Get lost! 
<laughs> oh my god, when he said I had 17 words for him, and he somehow had... Yeah. God, my office in 2.3 seconds, or I'll stamp you to a flagpole. Wait a minute, was that even in this episode, or was that group? Yes, yes, yes okay. that was in this <laughs> Which they admitted was a total cheat, they just wrote the line and then they went yeah, back. Of and course, it. that's always but how they lamp- but, but they lampshaded it by having Peter point it out. That's always how, how did it <laughs> And Darren delivers it so brilliantly, you just don't care. It's great. Oh yeah, he, he he's he's so good in this show. Uh, I mean, he, I want if I ever have an if I ever work a job where I'm lucky enough to have an office, I want to use that one. <laughs> I'm just imagining Greg with the power to hire and fire someone. Horrifying. That... With, with with his Game of Thrones style throne, his chair. <laughs> he's wearing He'd the crown. He's co- he's cosplaying as Crowley. Yes. Like, Do you wish to have this job? No. <laughs> Is that show still on the air? I was to say, you're... Was that supposed to be an impression of Mark Shepard? <laughs> no, I don't even know who Mark Shepard is. Uh, Crowley. Oh. No, Mark Shepard. <clears throat> Crowley's more like the, more. That's actually more like my Malcolm McDowell impression, so... It's actually not bad, though. But, uh, but anyway... I like this episode. I'll, I have no real complaints about it, but yeah, due to some of the small flaws, like I said, I'll give it. I'll bump it down a bit. I'll give it an A minus. But um, I have no real complaints about the episode. Zach, no, no real complaints. Uh, I enjoyed it. What's your grade? I gave it. Uh, gave it a grade earlier. It was a uh, B plus. B plus, and Gerard, yours was a B. B, I think. Yes. So, um, not bad. We all like this episode. It's not perfect, but no episode of anything is perfect. And uh, That's patently false. <laughs> there have been perfect episodes. Really? Where? Uh, all Good Things, the finale of Star Trek The Next Generation. I consider that a perfect That's episode. Good. That's a, very good. I like that one. I don't know if I'd call it perfect, but I'd have to go through it and look for flaws. But I'm not going to do that, but I like it. <laughs> I love it, actually. <laughs> yes. Engage. All right, so um, I think that about covers it. We'll be back next month. Although we're gonna film, we're gonna record it in a uh, film. We're gonna record it in a couple seconds. Group therapy, where Jesse won't be joining us, so that we can share our problems with each other. <laughs> <laughs> but Greg, how does that make you feel? We'll talk about it next month. <laughs> Only on spidey-dude.com and the Spidey Dude Radio Network. Oh, and by the way, send us an email, spectacularradio at gmail.com. Or, Bye. Or leave us a voicemail at 818-925-6631. Be sure to mention which show you're going to be leaving a voicemail for. Or send a written letter to Zach's home address, which hey, is... Hey! No! <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that'll be really funny, because if you're selling the house, you won't be there. You'll just some, some random person will be getting inundated with letters about Spider-Man. It'll be great. Toodaloo Get your goop in my hair.